0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Thank
1: you for listening to Real Presence Live. This is Father Richard Kunz along with Cindy Jennings coming to you from the beautiful Diocese of Duluth on the shores of Lake Superior. We are... Actually, in the gathering space of St. James Catholic Church, which is my parish, and at the uh, St. James Stella Mars campus. So um, uh, we've had a good show so far. We're halfway through. And the second half of the hour promises not to disappoint. And so we have um, uh, Sean Pilcher on the air with us. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to begin with?
2: Good morning, Father. Um, Well, I'm director of an apostolate called Sacra, Relics of the Saints. And Sacra endeavors to care for and inform people about sacred relics, or the relics of the saints.
1: All right, tell us a little bit about yourself personally.
2: Sure. Uh, well, I, uh, I live in Minneapolis uh, with my wife, and um, I teach teach Latin mostly. And um, uh, most of my work uh, now comprises um, researching relics for parishes, and postulators, and archives, and Doing repairs, um, you know, relics over time need care uh, like any other historical artifact would. And um, with relics, it's also very important to understand the history of the item and its authenticity, certainly, because it's an object for prayer and veneration. So a lot of my work involves uh, researching the history and the provenance of a relic and making sure that it's suitable for the faithful to have an experience of prayer with.
1: Yeah, and we're, we're going to get more into that in detail because we got a little bit extra time with you this morning. But before we actually get into the, uh, the work that you do with relics, I want, you know, I thought I'd overheard you saying at one point that the most fateful day of your entire life was several years ago in Rome where you ran into somebody and you said, didn't it change your entire life from that point? Maybe could you speak to that? Cause I, I don't know if I remember the whole story exactly, right? So maybe you can uh, share with the listeners what I'm, what I'm, uh, at least what I've
2: overheard. Very good. Yes, yes. Uh, so, and my first trip ever to Rome, I was a, a younger man, and um, I was doing my very best. I went on the trip alone, but I was doing my very best to speak the Italian language and to kind of get in with the locals and to, to make my way around. And, it was my first trip there, so I was waiting in line for a papal audience, and there's a, a dashing young priest standing in front of me <laughs> speaking English, and I thought, oh, how funny. I haven't heard anybody speak English for a while, and I'm a little lonely, and here I am, this midwesterner in Italy. And anyway, it turned out to be the the priest I'm speaking with right now. <laughs> oh, of course.
3: <laughs> said, that must have been decades you're, you're,
2: ago. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> he said, you're, you're from Iowa, I'm from Minnesota, he said, you know, come along with us, and I'll show you where to stand, and why don't you meet us for mass tomorrow? And I think I even got some uh, some free pizza and a beer out of the deal which for a college Aww. kid goes you know goes a long way. So, so that was actually the first time we met, which is gosh a while ago now.
1: That that was a long time ago, but I do I do like your um, uh, your um, uh, explanation of dashing. That was a very
2: yeah yeah. <laughs> so okay, Poetic
1: so license. what was that
2: Poetic license.
1: Yeah 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 thanks, yeah. thanks a lot. So um. Okay, so let's go back to your what the the important thing in hand here is that, so uh, so relics. So one of the things that um, happens to me fairly often in my little neck of the woods, I'm kind of known as that guy, that priest, you know, that deals with relics more for whatever reason. But I'll get all sorts of um, uh, people reaching out to me via with whether they're at church or an email or whatever. They've got a relic. I've got this relic. It it looks broken. I don't know anything about it. I don't have any document. Can you tell me something about it? What I mean, where do you factor in? This is where, to me, you're very important because you, you, um, you kind of like serve um, something that has been lacking in our part of the world, what you do as a ministry. Uh, if somebody comes to me or a priest or if, if we have a listener, we have lots of listeners right now, that they have a relic that they got from grandma or from an old priest or something, got it in a drawer, what should they do with it?
2: Um, well, in short, they should, they should get in touch uh, on our website, sacrarelics.org, S A S-A-C-R-A, C R A relics.org. Um, because oftentimes people, people despair that there's no documentation or that some piece is broken. And, and relics really are, they're part of our Catholic inheritance. So it's very important to give them the care and uh, the attention they deserve. And uh, one of the things we help people do is take um, grandma's relic or, or whoever and try and tell them more about its history, where, not, where did not, it come from. Not a
1: relic of Grandma, but Grandma's relic. No,
2: yes, Grandma's <laughs> relic. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, from, her, from her drawer or something that was passed down in the family. And we, we help people understand more about uh, its history and its authenticity and where it could have come from. And sometimes these things, as they get passed down, uh, they're, they're well-loved and they need they need some kind of attention the relic is broken or the seals are broken or it's dirty and these are things that need to be cleaned and documented very meticulously so that people in the future don't have any doubts about their authenticity so it's it's good for people to kind of give these relics the the attention they deserve and the upkeep that's necessary to keep these treasures around for the centuries to come.
1: And they are treasures. I mean, you know, you hear about the smells and bells of Catholicism. We, you know, we are a tangible people and our religion is tangible. And And these things, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, these things, these, these relics truly are holy. And and maybe you can speak to the the significance of them because, you know, you hear lots of stories about, oh, a lot of relics were thrown away and stuff like that. That's you can't do that, you know? And so it's like, these things are truly holy. Maybe you can speak to the holiness of the nature of relics before we delve into anything more about them.
2: Absolutely, Father. Well, I think I think even to understand the supernatural element, it's, it's important to understand uh, our natural inclination to hold on to family heirlooms or um, uh, before we had the interview, I, you were hearing my grandmother's clock, you know, to everybody else, it's, it's just a clock, but to me, in my home, it's, it's Grandma's clock, you know, and I think everyone has some experience of a family heirloom or something handed down, and what the, what the Church does is take this natural inclination in our souls and baptizes it and says, if we really are a family in Christ, then we have these holy things, these holy heirlooms uh, that come from the saints, and if, if there really are older brothers and sisters in the faith, then it's only right that in this, the Order of, of Grace, we would have a parallel to this this longing to connect that we have on the Order of Nature. And so the relics of the saints are, uh, they're, they're our family heirlooms, they're our family treasures, and there's something we hold on to uh, because they're part of our Catholic inheritance, just like the, the smells and the bells, just like the sacred liturgy and the hymns we sing. These things are, are treasures that we hold on to, and of course, there's there's awful, terrible stories of these things getting lost or or not taken care of in the last centuries, um, but any any place, any time there has been the authentic Catholic Apostolic faith, there have been Christians from the earliest centuries, Christians who have who have put themselves at great personal risk to take care of the relics of the saints, because it's not just some sort of extra optional thing in the faith; it's really part of the core of our Catholic faith.
1: So, so if some, so if somebody does have, like again, you know, Joe sixpack sitting in the pews, they. They got a relic. they don't I mean they've not thought much about it. they've they've had it around. How, how should they treat the how should how should Joe Sixpack sitting in the pew who has a relic? How should they be treating the relic? I mean, what's, what, what should they do with it?
2: Well, um, if, if it's something that they're prepared to take seriously and to, and to respect in their home, but the church doesn't prohibit um, a, just sort of a normal relics to be uh, had by the faithful, especially if they're already kind of in the family. Uh, but you should put the relic in a, in a reliquary in some kind of stand. Reliquaries often can, can be very elaborate and look something like a monstrance. But something simple is fine. There are plenty of places where reliquaries at reasonable prices can be had. And, and um, we should treat these uh, like holy objects. We should be aware of their presence. And it would be good if you have a place in your home. Every Christian has a place in their home where they pray and cultivate kind of the, the recollection necessary for the Christian life and it would be good to have the relic there in that place with a picture of the saint or with other holy objects, a candle burning, uh, and to pass by the relic and to say a prayer to to bless our our spouse or our children with the relic, and to have it be a kind of spiritual beacon for the home. St. John Damascene, who um, is widely considered as the last of the the early Church Fathers, he wrote long treatises defending uh, during a time of, of persecution of holy images and of relics uh, he wrote long treatises defending relics, and he calls them fonts of salvation. So, so think about it like, you know, you go to the sink to get water, or you go to the fridge to get some food, you go to the relic to, to get grace. and Not as a kind of magic talisman, but as a way to connect to these people who are beholding the, the beatific vision even now. And there are ways that we can connect and tap into the grace that God so much wants to give us.
1: Right. You, you you like the the example you used you you see grandma's clock you hear grandma's clock chiming and you that automatically brings you back to grandma and so the the tangible aspect of relics that this is something that a part of something of like they war it is literally a part of their body that brings us to a real tangible connection to these people who live the gospels
2: that's right that's right it, it's not just uh, sentimentalism it's not just a reminder but there's a real um, even though we can't see it, there's a real connection that we have to the saints.
3: I can think of one at my own house right now (laughs) that I'll be getting in touch with you about, but do you see a lot of this coming in? Like what kind of, is there a lot of people that are contacting you that have relics that they don't know about?
2: Yeah. And it's a, it's something we we could speak a lot about, but uh, just in in the, in the end of the last century, a lot of important church things were neglected, like good sacred music or good church architecture or knights vestments, the relics relics the same way. Uh, people have maybe uh, lost the appreciation that they have, but it's coming back, and so people are eager to care for what they have and to learn about it and to take care of it. So yes, we get a lot of of communication from lay people and families who are interested to care for the relics
1: they have. And, and Sean, we'll get more into that um, uh, as the, as the um, interview uh, goes on. But right now, I want to take a quick break, and we'll continue this uh, conversation with Sean Pilcher in regards to sacred relics.
0: Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.
4: Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. The American Academy of Optometry recommends that all children receive eye exams every two years, beginning at six months old. As one of North Dakota's only fellowship-certified pediatric optometrists, it is my mission to ensure that children are screened for preventable eye conditions like lazy eyes, cataracts, and eye turns. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for children and adults, and you don't need vision insurance to book an appointment. You can schedule your appointment online at www.lumen.dot. Vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio.
5: This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. Some say that our age of relativism, the belief that there are no absolute truths, began when the philosophers of the Enlightenment divorced reason from reality. Indeed, David Hume wrote that reason exists only to serve our own agendas. Contrast this with great thinkers like Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine of Hippo, who each taught that reason is at the service of reality. And because of this, the human reason can reason their way to truth. In John Paul's famous encyclical, Fides et Ratio, he writes, "...faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth." millennia of christians have held that faith without reason is brainwash and reason without faith is blind so today when you're thinking through an issue ask yourself is my reason serving reality or am i twisting reality to serve myself catholic way bible study peace power purpose find out more at cwbs.org did you know you can listen to real presence live anytime on any podcast platform Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope.
0: You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard
1: right here on the RPR Network. You indeed are listening to Real Presence Live. As far as, like, uplifting stories, I'm not exactly sure I can provide those. Maybe our guests can, but this is Father Richard Kunst. along with Cindy Jennings coming to you from the beautiful Diocese of Duluth. We're talking to Sean Pilcher about restoring relics... Sacra, his uh, website, but we'll get more into that a little bit later. City has a pressing question,
3: Sean. It just sounds so amazing what you're doing. How did you get involved in st- starting this up?
2: Yes, well, um, uh, as you might uh, imagine, there, there's no school for uh, relic h- historians, uh, not yet, anyway, um, mm-hmm. and most of the conventions of the, of the work are passed down orally to through kind of apprenticeship, if you want to put it that way. And when I was in college, um, I lived down the street from an elderly priest who had done this work for a very long time, and his eyes were going bad, and he was having difficulty with the threads and the seals uh, with his fingers. So I would go in the morning and serve his mass, and then he would make a large pot of coffee, and we would get down to work, and he would tell me about how to do different things and show me how to understand uh, the, the, the basics of relics and I would help him in his work and then um, when I moved uh, after after university I still had people who were asking me to, to perform work and so when I moved to uh, the Archdiocese of Minneapolis which is where I live now I um, checked in with the Archdiocese and kind of made sure my work was was and and um, our Archbishop here has been very supportive of the work there's certainly plenty of work to be done locally and in other places and so it started just from sort of helping people out as they as they needed to more and more uh, people interested and more people discovering that work was necessary. And as I mentioned before the break, there's a lot of kind of resurgence, especially in in younger younger priests and younger people who are, are rediscovering these treasures that we have, whether it's sacred music or or nice specimens or beautiful architecture, ways of showing in the physical, uh, realm, what what we believe in the, in the spiritual and ways of honoring um, God and His saints, and so people people have really uh, been excited about the work. And as, as Father mentioned, there is a kind of need. Um, lots of dioceses used to have uh, people in charge of this kind of work, um, and there's more work and fewer people now, which is is very good for me. I'm very grateful, and and God has been very generous. Um, but there certainly is is a lot of growing interest, which we're we're happy
1: to see. Yeah, it's and you know not to get into the nitty gritty of what you do in the work, but I mean a lot of it for you. I mean, from my understanding, that you have, you also have some some resources in regards to the seals and how the seals, in particular,ly are important in regards to discernment of the relic's origin, date, and authenticity. Can you speak a little bit about the seals in particular? Were were you in a you know you know, I know lots of priests that, that have interest in relics, and, and myself included, just dealing with them, and, and you know, I can you know shoot from the hip in regards to relics. But you've got a knowledge and a resources in regards to the seals, which are absolutely critical for all things to do with relics. Maybe you can speak about the seals.
2: Yes, Father. So uh, so when a relic is prepared, the uh, ecclesial authority or the person who has access to the relics of that person say that postulator for the the cause of canonization for sainthood or the the person in charge of those relics where the person was buried, uh, when they enclose a relic in a reliquary, they will uh, tie it in with threads and a wax seal. And that ensures that it hasn't been tampered with or that it hasn't been removed or a, a forgery put in. And so one very important thing when we research and repair relics is to understand the origin of the relic. And just like a piece of art, you have to ask yourself, what's the provenance of this relic? Where did it come from? So here I am holding a piece of a saint, purportedly, and how do I draw a clear line with a paper trail from me holding this relic to where the saint was buried or where the saint's relics are kept? And this is often a very uh, involved process, and a huge part of it is understanding the seals of the relics, because... the, the seal will tell you a lot of information that might otherwise be, be lost. And we have a network of, of people we consult and resources and a library of relics to be able to check seals and to uh, uh, verify their authenticity.
1: So I know I know that, um, at least from the, the limited exposure I've had with some of these things, is that the uh you know the the seal is there but the red thread as well or whatever the color is mostly it's red if the, if the if the if the thread if if again somebody's listening they got grandma or grandpa's old relic if the thread in the back has been severed that can also affect the integrity of the verifiable authenticity that's right so
2: this the the thread and the seal are there to prevent things from being tampered but Anybody that's owned a relic for a very long time knows that sometimes things just break from from wear and tear. And so it's important if you see that that uh, seal is broken or that the relic is broken off inside and is rolling around or the threads are are fractured, it's very important that that be documented and repaired uh, quam primum, as we say, as soon as possible, because um, we don't want there to be any doubt about the authenticity. If it's a relic that's been in your family and you know of its authenticity, uh, one would really hate to see it deemed inauthentic only because uh, it's in need of some repair, and and the person who has it didn't seek that that uh, repair. And so, it's important that everything in the in the relic world be documented very clearly and uh, and correctly, so that there is no doubt about the provenance of the relic.
1: And and there are so and you already references, but there are so few people that do what you do. And so, until I, you know got reacquainted with you, I, you know, I mean, I suspect I could have contacted somebody in Rome to do some sort of work for a relic that was in distress, but um, uh, you know, your, your work is so significant in regards to authenticating and repairing relics. I mean, how many other people in the country do what you do? I suppose you you there's no way of knowing, but I wouldn't have known who to go to directly had I not got reacquainted with you.
2: Sure. Uh, there are maybe four or five other people that I know of in the United States, and most of them are people that I work with and collaborate with and share information and ask questions. And So we have kind of a working relationship. Oh, I'm not sure of the answer to this question. Have you ever seen anything like this? Uh, I have a relic that looks like this. Have you ever seen this before? So it's uh, it's very good to collaborate because as you say there's no there's no great number of people uh, working with relic
1: so how do again we already talked what we're going to talk about it more tell us a little bit about your website
2: sure so the, the website is Sacra s a c r a a org relics org and um, it's a place for people to come if they're looking to learn a little bit more about relics um, I, you know I think a lot of people in their catechesis uh, maybe wouldn't have received a lot of, of, of help to understand why we have relics. Some people, especially us modern Americans, are kind of freaked out by them, or we think they're some kind of extra frill in the Catholic faith. Uh, so there's information about why relics are important. There are also some articles uh, featuring some projects we've done, some restorations, some really interesting uh, mysteries, if you want to put it that way, that we've solved about relics, and some very rewarding uh, restoration projects. Uh, there is also a way to get in touch. If you have a relic or your parish has a relic or you have a question, uh, there's a way that you can contact us. Uh, there's a way that people can make donations if they like. Uh, a large part of our work is is rescuing relics from, uh, from antique dealers who maybe don't know what they have, and that requires money. Um, so there's that option. There's also a place where we uh, give some basic information about seals and coats of arms and the way relics are prepared. So that people can just have a better knowledge, uh, generally speaking, about what they're looking at when they see a relic in a parish.
1: So, you know, for the listeners that um, uh, are listening in right now, who's everybody that's listening, is that um, you, you came up, uh, I can't remember, early October uh, to Duluth to look at what I had. And, and the thing that I liked uh, that I was kind of interested in is that your interest was primarily in the documents. And you were taking a bunch of pictures of, of the documents that I had per, uh, for particular relics because that only adds to your um, resources, I suspect. You know, I mean, if you see documents that you haven't seen before, then you can see other um, uh, potential relics in the future that you might deal with, that whether they're authentic or not. And so just your, your attentiveness to the document itself, to me, was impressive. Well, oh,
2: thank you, Father. Yes, the, mo- the more relics and the more documents that I can lay eyes on, then the easier my job gets. And sometimes now uh, uh, someone will bring me a relic to look at and I can just look at it and know its history based upon the way it's presented and, uh, and upon the document. Uh, and the more, the more I see, the better, for sure.
1: Yeah. And the, the other, and we just have a couple of minutes before the next break, but uh, one thing that you also said that I thought was interesting is how back in the day the documents were extraordinarily, you know, decorative and beautiful, but now it's like sometimes I just do a Xerox. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Oh.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, um, you know, modern problems require modern solutions, and uh, just like we would be, I think, more likely to send an email than write a than write a snail mail letter for a thank you note or something. But the but the handwritten there's something really special still about the the handwritten word, and uh, so these documents it, it shows that the care and the interest that people had in relics, and even the document had such beauty and such care and attention to it. Um, so that's one thing that we try to cultivate is clear records, but also uh, a dignified presentation for the relic and a dignified way of documenting it all to show our our reverence and respect for the same.
1: Yeah, and you know, I mean, again, we can maybe talk a little bit about this after the break. But I have um, uh, I have I've not actually seen in person some of the work that you've done, but I've had brother priests that have had you do some of their work, and the stuff that I've seen you. The scene I've the stuff I've seen you do is absolutely phenomenal. Well, well done. I mean, how you deal with the reliquary and the the fixing it up and the the document that you provide. And again, I want to get a little bit more into this after the break because the service you provide with the documentation is ex- extremely critical. And uh, but you know, I just I just want to uh, you know without seeing it firsthand, your work what I've seen secondhand in photos has been really quite amazing. So just a plug for uh, your website, which again is.
2: SacraRelics org. That's S A C R A Relics org.
1: Yeah. All right. And then yeah. And so I'm um, a. Uh, uh,
3: yeah. I want to talk about what what your favorite relics were. So I can't wait to come back from break.
1: Well, we have to get to break first. So okay. So anyhow. So we got like thirty seconds left, Sean. Say one more thing about relics to get us through thirty seconds.
2: Um. They are not as creepy t- <laughs> as you think. They are not as creepy as you might think they are. And if you're worried about that, then you should stick around after the break because we're going to make them not creepy for you.
1: Exactly. Because when I do RCIA, sometimes I like have to do like, okay, some of you guys are going to be freaked out by this. You know, because I do talk about relics during RCIA classes, but sometimes they view us Catholics as very weird. But we're not weird. Relics are important, and we're talking to the guy when it comes to relics, Sean Pilcher, and we'll continue this conversation after this brief break. <laughs>
6: Your future, the future of your family, and the causes important to you are too precious to be left to chance. While no one can control the future completely, a little bit of certainty and predictability is good and healthy. Fortunately, Real Presence Radio has some practical methods to share with you to assist in establishing your will and estate plan. Please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. It's a matter of just getting started. And uh, I remember when uh, they came around looking for donations at the churches when they were trying to get it started. And it really hit me when, I don't even remember who it was, came around, but it was just like, I think that I need this. Because I wanted to be be fed. Uh, I wasn't taking time to read my Bible or any of that, but I just knew. It was like, well, if I could listen to stuff on the radio like he talked about. And so it, it was everything that it said and more, you yeah. know, in all reality. So. It doesn't
3: take a lot of effort
6: to turn it on it does not take a lot of effort you know sometimes really it I'm gonna back up on that say it, it, it almost does because if you want to be drawn in and contemplate what is all being said on the radio there's a lot of stuff that gets kinda deep It's like, well it makes you contemplate mm-hmm. it's like uh, okay am I am I ready to, to take this food in and digest it and all that you know mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual food so yeah it's it's been, a, it's been really good for me from from my faith walk in.
3: let us run to Mary and as her little children cast ourselves in their arms with a perfect confidence st. Francis de Sales join together with families across the local area for the rosary nightly here on Real Presence Radio on Wednesday through Monday nights tune in at 8 p.m. Central and on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Central gather the whole family together and pray this powerful prayer with us Join us for the Rosary Wednesday through Monday at 8 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central here on the RPR Network.
0: You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR
1: Network. Thank you for staying with us, it's Father Richard Kuntz, along with Cindy Jennings. We're talking to Sean Pilcher about sacred relics, restoration of relics, all things, all things relics. And uh, one of the things I want to really, Sean, you you've referenced this a little bit. Really want to talk about it again is that um, the fact that you've got the blessings of the local ordinary of of uh, the Archbishop really gives you credibility in, I mean, it's it's the thing that makes you credible, is that you have ecclesial support for what you do. And just so that, you know, the listeners know that this is not like some Joe Schmo working out of the back seat of his car, you know, fixing, saying that he can fix relics and make documents. You are, you're in essence authorized. Maybe you can speak a little bit about the significance and importance of that.
2: Well, yeah, it's, it's very good to have uh, clear records. And, and for there to be no kind of uncertainty when these things are documented. So it's difficult to know what people will and will not know, say, 500, 1,000 years in the future. So it's very important to have clear and clean records. And um, so we keep these, we keep these uh, in-house as well as the, the documents we produce. And uh, our Archbishop has been extraordinarily supportive. We've done uh, some work for him and some, some work for parishes. We've also worked with other offices of, of worship in different dioceses uh, in the United States and, and in other places in Europe, and so um, we just work in, in collaboration with uh, superiors and postulators and uh, religious congregations, dioceses, and um, try and, and help them understand that they have and then offer our service uh, to the Church. So it's, and, it's all really for the glory of God and, and for His sake.
1: And, you, and you've worked with the Diocese of Rome, right?
2: Uh, that's true. Yeah, I've worked uh, for for some uh, with some postulators there and some parishes, and been able to kind of consult on some things and and even do some repairs in the in the Eternal City.
1: So, did the bishop of that diocese actually reach out to you?
2: Um, uh, well, the bishop of the bishop of uh, of Rome. <laughs> no, he has a <laughs> lot of, lot of things on his uh, agenda. But uh, <laughs> some of the people there who would be more kind of skewed into what the needs were uh, right. more locally.
1: Right. That was actually meant to be a joke. I, I knew that the Pope didn't reach out to you for this.
2: No, no.
1: So, you know, I mean you talked about on the website how you got you know I mean it, and I you know, I the last time I looked at it was probably about two or three weeks ago, but uh, you know, some photos of some cool things that you worked on. You know, what are some of the what are some of the things that get your blood going, your heartbeat up? What are some of the experiences you've had with, with relics that are maybe more exciting than the average story?
2: Absolutely. Well, there's a lot of mystery involved. Uh because sometimes records are lost or, or there are kind of there's local lore about what might be in the box in the altar. There's a there's a local parish who had a who had a, a renovation of the parish and made it beautiful and they had to move the altar to, to redo the floor and in the altar they found this metal box and they knew there were probably relic. This box was underneath the regular altar stone, which is which is in most altars. And uh, so they had no idea what's in this box and so we had to ask Uh, one of the bishops to come and to open this at at a ceremony at the parish, and we found inside uh, relics of of Roman martyrs which were put there by the monks who dedicated the parish, and we were able to kind of solve this mystery and and research the martyrs, and also to uh, clean them up after a few hundred years of of sitting there and clean them up and and adorn them and make them uh, suitable. And there's a kind of mystery, too, because we don't know, I mean, in another 200 years when this box is, is open to, to understand its contents or to, to clean it up, who knows? <laughs> what, will, what, will, what, what will the world look like? What will the church look like? Uh, what will this area even look like? So relics are a way to kind of zoom out in history and to put things in perspective and to realize that our small contribution uh, really can, can make a huge, a huge impact uh, in the future.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean, I've seen certainly in, in my own work, in my own life as priests, some of these documents that are from the 1600s, you know, 1700s, and, and little did these people know that produced these documents, that this thing would be in Duluth, Minnesota, you know, it's like, so these do, these documents themselves actually have told the story, don't they?
2: Very true, yes.
1: So now, one of the... Um, uh, and I don't want to get too much into it. I, I know I've made references to you a little bit already. Is that, and I don't, you know, we're going to talk more about it on Real Presence Radio at some other time. But there's a um, a, a movement afoot here in the city in the diocese of Duluth of possibly looking at exploring the the um, potential beatification of one of our earlier priests. And I know I've at least I threw it out to you a little bit uh, in regards to what does that look like in regards to the process of exhuming the body and obtaining relics i don't know if you've i suspect you've probably never been part of that step of a process but um uh, you would certainly be uh the type of person i would come forward to produce you know appropriate reliquaries for relics like that but but um uh the idea of somebody's has a, a potential cause for them how does that all look about retrieving relics and how that all works
2: well, in the, uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, people would go under uh, the cultists, We speak about the devotion to a saint as, a, as the cult or the cultist. That word can be a little difficult for us now, but its older meaning is just the reverence uh, that a saint would receive from the people. In the Middle Ages, the cultist of a saint was kind of a grassroots effort. So people went to, for example, uh, when St. Philip Neri died and his body was laid out at the funeral, people went and started <laughs> stealing his hair and parts of his clothes and things. And so, so our, our inclination for relics is, uh, you know, early and often, as we say. Uh, but, but the Church is careful to respect the dignity of the body and to uh, respect also the process of canonization. So um, once a person is a servant of God or sometimes venerable, um, devotional material can be distributed. Once person, well, a person is declared blessed in, in most circumstances— then a, a formal, what's called a recognizio canonica, or a canonical recognition of the of the person in question's remains are made. And that's usually done with a postulator, a relic person like myself, uh, some medical experts, uh, delegation of representatives from that person's cause or their family. And uh, the idea is to understand the state of the relics and to understand if relics were to be distributed for, for veneration, uh, what would be something possible, but also respecting the kind of state of the person's body. And that's also a time when the relics might be moved from the original crypt or cemetery to somewhere more suitable for pilgrims to come, like a shrine, church, or an altar somewhere uh, where people could come and, and congregate.
1: no, interesting, the, the, the person that we're talking about, his name is Monsignor Joseph bou you know, long ago, like right after he died, the the monastery here in Duluth, the monastery of Saint Scholastica, Benedictine Sisters, actually started distributing relics of his, like second class relics. We can talk about classes here in a bit, but they took it upon themselves to distribute relics, and so even in the archives of the diocese, we have a couple of examples of this. In my own personal possession, I've got a relic of this of this priest that was produced by the the monastery, and so. Even, you know, you're talking about the Philip Neary example, we even see, even like this Monsignor Boo, it's like already on the most grassroots level, there was distribution of his relics, even, maybe even without permission.
2: Yes, well, the, the, the Church is careful to uh, uh, also respect the devotions of the faithful. So one thing is is having a relic for public veneration in a church on an altar with a picture and candles lit and everything. The Church has rules, I think for good reason, uh, in her prudence, to kind of help the faithful understand where the person is in that process of canonization. But the Church doesn't forbid people from offering uh, prayers of goodwill and uh, earnest prayers of intercession to to persons who are supposed to be holy and who have left left this life in a state of grace. And the Church has never told people to uh, get rid of Beloved items from family members, or from loved ones, or friends. So there's no reason why if the faithful had something like this, or things were touched by the person uh, in life that uh, that that they couldn't keep them as reminders and as, as objects of prayer. Why
1: don't you speak about the different classes of relics?
2: sure well in the, in the turkish legislation there's there's actually no real distinction made uh in, in as far as the classes but because people often speak about relics in in classes it's it's good to understand uh the the first class of relics or first class relics are usually considered to be like a piece of the saint so their hair their a piece of their skin piece of their bones Um, something like this, uh, with some saints like St. John Vianney's Heart, which was toured around the United States a few years back. That would be a first-class relic. These are the ones that usually tend to give us a little pause as modern Americans, and and we can definitely come back to these and and understand them a little better. Second-class relics are objects that uh, belong to the saint or around them in their life. We think about a saint, a rosary bead. Or a saint's uh, breviary, or a picture they owned, or their clothes, or the religious habit—something that they would have worn or had around. Uh, these are the two kinds of relics or categories of relics that the church has, like official laws about, and uh, mentions really as relics proper. And then the third class of relic is is a more of a devotional practice, like we would make a pilgrimage or go visit a church. A third class relic is something that we bring along or that we touch to first- or second-class relic. So you're, you're in a parish, and you see a, a relic out of a saint for veneration. It's on tour, it's visiting, or it's a relic in your parish at a side altar or a shrine, and you bring your rosary bead or your prayer book or your scapular or your wedding ring, and you touch the relic to the reliquary or to the relic, and you offer your prayers. And it's an opportunity for us to grow in relation with that saint and to start a new chapter in our lives with that saint as a, as a friend in heaven. And the third-class relic, then, is, is more of a devotional practice by which we bring something or we touch something uh, to have a remembrance of, of that experience of grace with the saints.
3: Um, yeah, and that kind of reminds me when I, I've told Father this when my husband passed, my kids wanted... To get his skin, yeah. <laughs> like samples of his skin. Well, they're, they were young, like, no. they're young children. They're young. Yeah, and then we can give hair. That's all we can do. So they got hair. But how has your work um, with SACRA influenced your faith? Has it changed it at all?
2: Oh, immensely, immensely. I have the great privilege to, to work with all these saints, and um, it's, it's an immense uh, privilege to work with them and to care for them. And I know that if I've done just a little to care for, for their earthly a relic, that they do so much that we never see uh, to care for us. And so I, I greatly feel that the saints as, as my friends in heaven and as people who watch over us. And every relic I work with is an opportunity to deepen a relationship uh, with those saints. And I, I try to never let any of this work uh, be lost, uh, the spiritual significance be lost on me, because it, it really is a great a great privilege. Yeah,
1: we're, yeah, we're talking to Sean Pilcher um, in regards to SacraRelics.org or .com?
2: Uh, software yeah
1: okay so uh, we're going to continue this conversation after this break we we're talking to him about relics all thing about relics about fixing relics that are in distress relics that are need to be authorized or authenticated and so we'll continue this conversation after this very quick break stay with us
0: this is Real Presence Live where the focus is not on the evil around us but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good we're local engaging and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in
4: Fargo. Many times every day in our office, I see children whose eyes don't work the way we take for granted. If the eyes aren't working together as a team, aren't jumping back and forth appropriately, or aren't focusing correctly, children will fall behind in academic and athletic performance. Lumen Vision specializes in treating these eye movement issues through a process called vision therapy. You can learn more about vision therapy on our website, www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio.
7: God's blessings to all of you today as you are listening to Real Presence Radio. This is Father Wilhelm, and I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo. What a wonderful gift and a grace that we have in our holy church is that we have a holy mother, Jesus' mother, who loves us so very much, and she prays for us. Isn't it wonderful to have a mother on our side, a mother who prays for us, a mother who loves us, as Christ is our brother, then that means that Mary is truly our mother, our spiritual mother. And so as you pray that beautiful gift of the Hail Mary, let each of these prayers be as roses that is presented before her holy feet. And she brings our prayers and lays them before her son, Jesus, and all of us. Always listen to our mother. Listen to what our mother is asking you. Come to the Savior. Come to my son. Come to Jesus Christ.
0: You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the
1: show. Thanks for sticking with us. My name is Father Richard Kunz. I'm here with Cindy Jennings, my co-host. We're coming to you from Duluth. We're talking to Sean Pilcher from SacraRelics.org. And I'm sure, Sean, that you've never in your wildest dreams growing up as a little kid that, that this would be your job. But it has become your full-time job slash vocation. Maybe you can speak a little bit. Because, you know, when we're kind of promoting your, the work that you do, you know, people need to realize that, you know, none of this is... I mean, it's not, it's not like these things, you know, grow on trees. There, There is, you know, some cost to fixing the relics and getting documentation. Maybe just speak a little bit about how this vocation developed and how it's your full-time job. Just speak to that a little bit.
2: Certainly, father. Yes. Well, um, my, my wife likes to say it's the closest I'll ever get to Indiana Jones. <laughs> and uh-huh. we, cer- we certainly, cer- certainly have no ambitions of, uh, of too much swashbuckling, but, um, normally, normally our process, of course, relics can, can never be sold and relics. We, we don't sell relics. Most of the work we do is, is actually understanding relics that people already have. Um, But if people are interested and and if there's a need, uh, we have just a period of consultation and try to understand what the needs are and look at some photographs or look at the relics in person if possible. And then what we do is just make an estimation of the time and materials and research necessary, and that's how we make our living is is based on our expertise and and network and uh, materials we provide and uh, the research involved. So the, the time, uh, the, the, the cost is really uh, based upon our time and upon the length of research necessary.
1: Yeah, I know that you're doing work for a priest in the diocese that had a number of relics in the parish that got a lot of water damage, and now Ooh. you're, and what you're doing for him is, is exactly what? What exactly are you doing for him?
2: Yes, well, the relics, as I understand, uh, took on a, a lot of water. I think they were sitting somewhere that was flooded. And so each relic had to be opened and cleaned and reset into a reliquary, and the water damage had to be uh, abated. And and then each of these relics has, have to be documented whenever they're opened or whenever they're repaired. Everything has to be documented, so it's understood later on, why was this open? Why are there why are there new incidental things about it? Why would it be in a new reliquary even in, in some instances where the other one was too damaged or too unsightly, really, to be helpful? Um, so uh, it's a very labor-intensive process. And uh, it's very, uh, very important uh, to be, to be um, focused, because if you're working on a, a piece of, uh, say, one of the apostles, uh, if, if, if it's lost or if, if something goes wrong, there, there's no opportunity for more. Uh, the relics are something we really need to hold on to and cherish. And so the, the, relic, the relic work is, is very, uh, sometimes grueling, sometimes very detail-focused but extraordinarily rewarding because they are, they are like St. John Damascene says, they are fonts of salvation.
1: There's lots of fakes out there, isn't there?
2: Certainly, yes. Uh, people should be aware that uh, if there are lots of real relics, there are even more fake relics. And so sometimes people on places like eBay or auction houses will try and sell a fake relic. It's true that there are the occasional real uh, relics on these places, but people should be very, very careful and should not uh, go bidding on things without consulting uh, experts, uh, especially if, if religious superiors or pastors are are trying to discern uh, what to do about an item they see on the Internet. They should really get in touch with us uh, to make sure they're not uh, bidding against other pious people who are being taken advantage of because of their goodwill.
1: So do you—I'm um, assuming that you'd have a bit of a—maybe of a— collection, I don't like the word collection, but let's say say somebody's looking for a particular saint, would you be able to help them?
2: Uh, Yes, oftentimes if if a parish is looking for their patron saint, for example, or we're working with a school now who has a few saints that are important to their school and they're trying to find a few relics, um, it's not really appropriate for for just regular people to have huge collections of relics, like you say, Father, but if parishes or or, uh, archives or, or orders are looking for Specific relics. We have a, a very good network to um, help uh, put people in into contact with relics that are that are um, that are necessary for them. And also, too, uh, some places have donated relics uh, to us so that we can find them good homes. Individuals, people who are going older, growing older, or people who don't have an interest in the relics they have or don't feel they can appreciate them, or churches that are closing, religious houses that are closing, will often donate their relics to us. Not not for our own use, but so that we can find good homes for them and, and, and give the relics to places that will be well loved and appreciated and venerated for, for what they're worth.
1: So you mentioned, you know, like um diocese, parishes, schools, but what if George Jane Six packs sit in the pew are looking for a particular relic? How I mean what would what if they reached out to you?
2: Um, yeah, I think it would depend uh, on the on the situation, and um, sometimes sometimes it's easy to write to the the postulator of the cause of a saint, or to explain uh, that someone is seeking a healing. We're working with someone right now who is, is seeking a healing through the intercession of a saint, uh, and and I've been able just to put them in touch with the right authority so that they can they can write and ask for a relic and, and pursue that. Um, we don't have a, a huge, uh, you know, drawer of relics to, to give away. We're more in the, in, the, in the business of helping people understand the relics they have, or to to help put them in touch with the right people. But certainly, it's it's important to to be able to to get in touch and to uh, to pursue that.
1: You know, it's um. I've got, as you you've seen the relics. I don't really do relics as much as I do papal artifacts, but I do have a number of relics. I've I've toyed with the idea over the years to have a parish that I'm in have all my relics for for veneration and display. You don't really see that so much anymore. Where there's like a, I mean, from time to time you'll go into a church and you'll see maybe a side, you know, altar or something with some relics, but. To have a church, is there any churches around in the area, like, say, in Minnesota, that really does a good job at, at, at um, displaying relics that they have?
2: Uh, yes, I can, I can think of a few parishes that would have good uh, displays of relics in the in the Twin Cities in St. In, um, Paul. There's a, a wonderful uh, display of relics in St. Agnes Parish, um, and they just recently in, installed a beautiful shrine to the Blessed Carl of Austria there as well, which has a relic um, of, Pastors should consider, if they have relics, uh, to make them available for the faithful on a, on a side altar or somewhere appropriate on a table for the Saint's Feast Day. They could put the relic on the altar. Um, some people have an inclination to put relics in altars of church, churches, and uh, it would be important to, to uh, discern that properly. Uh, really, relics of martyrs are the, the ones that belong in, in altars, but other relics uh, should be set out so people can view them and, and kiss them and touch them and venerate them and offer prayers and light candles. And so I encourage priests, if they have relics in their possession or in their parish, to, to figure out days or times when it would be appropriate and to catechize the faithful and to make those available for people.
1: It is an incredible experience to be in Rome at All Saints Day. I was Day. just going to say. So, I mean, all over in Rome, there's like there's lots of relics. But, yeah. but on All Saints Day, I don't know, Sean, if you've been there, but on All Saints really? Day, it's like the churches go out of their way to bring up. It's like, I can't believe how many relics each church has that you wouldn't see otherwise.
2: Absolutely, yeah, they have a habit of, and even some churches in the United States, of, of setting out all their relics, and uh, Sacra actually will will hopefully be leading a trip. There are some details to figure out, but Sacra will hopefully be in, uh, leading a trip uh, in 2025 to, to Rome for All Saints Day to help people uh, experience the relics and to, to see them there and to have an experience of, of the saints.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool, because again, I mean, I've been to Rome on All Saints Day several times, and it's like... It's so cool what these churches do. You'd never see them otherwise the way they do it on All Saints Day. So certainly would recommend that. Just give us your website one more time, Sean, and how we can reach out to you.
2: Yes, Father. Uh, sacrarelic.org. That's s a c r a dot org.
8: All
1: right. Great. Well, thank you, Sean. Thanks for joining us, and good luck and Godspeed with your important work.
2: Yeah, thank you, Sean. Thank you both very much.
1: All right, God bless. All right, well, that was, that was a good. very good, uh, oh very gosh. interesting interview. And so uh, yeah. make sure you check out that. He's got a great website, so make sure you check it out when okay. you're all, all, all listeners. So Aaron, are you there? Yes, I am. Aaron, you're
8: on the air now. So um, Aaron, what's the next show look like? On the next Real Presence Live, Thursday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, your host will be Karen Selensky and Father Craig Hochalter coming to you live from Bismarck, North Dakota. Their guests will include Reverend Dustin Johns, who will speak about his journey to the Catholic faith and becoming a Catholic priest. They'll also speak with Jim Kenyon, Director of Catholic Social Services of Rapid City, who will tell us about their upcoming annual gathering. All this and more is coming to you on the next Real Presence Live, Thursday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you.
1: Well, Aaron, that sounds very interesting, that next show, but it doesn't sound as
8: interesting as the one we're just concluding. Well, I do have to advertise the next show a little bit here. So I think it'll be just as interesting.
1: Well, I know you have to do that because that's your job, but I mean, let's pretend we're not on the air right now. Oh, if I can't let's, do that. Let's just at
5: least, let's, <laughs> at least, let's play,
1: let's play make believe that you're not on the air and just say, Father Rich, your show is so much better than that one coming up on Thursday. Go ahead, you can say
8: that. I'm gonna get in so much trouble if I do that. Hey, Father, <laughs> your favorite host of Real Presence Live? That's a good question. Ended up. What was that? Right, right back I, at, you, at you, buddy. Who's your favorite host of Real Presence Live?
1: My favorite host of Real Presence Live? Well, it has to be Cindy Jennings. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> <Smart answer. laughs> she's she's sitting right across the table from me. I have I'm not to sure say I that. I not believe him. <laughs> so, um, no, what was your favorite part of this show, Aaron?
8: Uh, I did really enjoy our straight talk segment, actually, because we had so many questions coming in. I know we didn't get a lot of calls, but we had a lot of writing questions, oh, which is nice to yes. see. Especially because we haven't had a segment in a while, so it was nice yeah. to see that people were really wanting that to uh, come back. So I'm happy about that, and they should be more regular now, which is good.
3: There was right. like three people typing at the same time.
8: Yeah, it was nuts. Everyone, I didn't know
3: that, in the that there were that was
8: much. Getting questions, which is great. <laughs> so that doesn't usually happen where it's that active. So it was really good. That was. I thought only one person did that. Oh, no. It, I did too. It, it depends on the day. Usually, you only need one person, but today, we got so many, we actually had to get the whole office involved wow, in it. So, yeah.
1: It's probably because of the, the pre answering the questions, right? Is that probably uh, maybe, the reason? I might maybe. be able to say Could that. I be. think
8: that probably has something <laughs> to do with that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think that's a bunch of bunk. But, anyhow. So, yeah. there's a lot of questions out there. So, Cindy, what are you going to do for the rest of your day? Thank you, Aaron. by the way. Oh, yep. I'm
3: going to go home and look at this website. And then I... Yeah, I don't know. Clean my house. Nothing amazing. Sorry. Well,
1: well, (laughs) sanctity comes from simple things. So (laughs) let us say a final prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this great show. We pray that those that were listening will be inspired to grow closer to your Son and may... God bless all those that are listening to me. Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We, Cindy and I, will be back sometime in December. Yay! But keep listening to Real Presence Live because there's lots of great stuff on it. God bless everybody.
3: Have a good month.
0: This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network.